Welcome to another edition of Wizards Half. This is mini-episode 49.5. These are the episodes where we get into the extra special details that were left in the magazine, stuff we didn't have time to cover on the main episode. So uh, one thing I wanted to point out to you guys is that obviously we had a lot of Rob Liefeld talk on episode 49.5. Congratulations to those who entered our profit action figure giveaway and won! You should have received those figures by now and we'll hope that they are taking up a very special spot in your collection. A little bit more on that later in this episode. But before we get into Cap's kooky contests, you know, one of the things that I didn't get to discuss with my buddy Jeff while we were talking on the episode was an entire day of visiting comic book stores that we did while I was out visiting California recently. So I gave Jeff a ring back and uh, we started talking. So let's get into it. Alright, well here we are. This is kind of a little bit different for our mini episodes. I was out recently uh, in California on a trip and got to hang out with our recent guest on Wizards, yes, Jeff Campbell-Smith. Jeff, how you doing? I am doing well. How are you, sir? Excellent. But when I was out there, I said, you know, Jeff, there's so many comic book stores in California. Orange County specifically is where we were at that time. And I said, why don't we just, let's see what's around. Let's go hit up some comic book stores. And he was game. So uh, we ended up in the city of Fullerton. And the first one we found was a store called Excelsior Collectibles. And Jeff was very conversational with everybody. I was like, I usually am just a ninja going around digging through back <laughs> issue bins and trying to find stuff but jeff started striking up a conversation so jeff how would you describe the atmosphere of this store well it was interesting when we went in uh it i mean i remember it had a very large kind of foyer there was some very large statues yeah like uh, the whole professional looking yeah. yeah there was like an iron man i think with lights and stuff and there was a ton of comics up on the wall that you know they had encased and various autographs there were some pictures of stan lee and my question at the time was i've been interested in comic book grading and so i started a conversation with one of the guys who was like at the cash register and then the other guy from like the other side of the store was the one who kept kind of answering my questions and it <laughs> sounded like he was the one who was like the manager owner guy and i was just talking to the cashier yeah we were the only people in the store when we first walked in right. so yeah in 
and like you said, it was it was huge. There were just wall books everywhere, just like real key issues on the walls. They had their main bins, and then underneath they would have drawers with even more bins. So they had right. a lot of back issues, and they were all you know carefully organized and everything. It was a very pristine store. Uh, in the back room is where I ended up going just to start looking around. And back there, it was just full of Funko Pops, just everything. So the front was all comics, the back was all Funko Pops. But as I'm digging around, for me, what I was a little uncomfortable about was just, it felt like they were kind of like hovering over my shoulder, like <laughs> trying to make sure I wasn't going to steal anything. Like, who are these schlubs coming in and just looking at back issues? They're not right. here for a $500 book? <laughs> you know, so I'm digging around and even their back issues are kind of pricey. I ended up paying seven bucks for an issue of Sensational She-Hulk that I was missing from my run. But it was just one of those things where I was just kind of like, it didn't feel welcoming. It wasn't quite what mm. I wanted because I, I was looking for the dollar books. I was looking for the quarter. Right. I, I needed the old stuff. And after like, you know, like 15 minutes in the store, Jeff, what information did you get about grading? What were they willing to tell you? Well, it was very peculiar because the other guy had a ton of information about grading. However, he was very guarded about it because apparently, and he kind of told me the whole story is the reason that it's called Excelsior. Uh, what was it? Excelsior Collectibles, you said? Yep. Okay. And, and part of it was also they were yeah they were pretty big into Funko Pops they were doing like a big old promotion where if you buy five you get a raffle ticket or something like that and the, the reason it's called Excelsior is that the former co-owner was Stan Lee's manager so there was actually a Stan Lee direct connection to this comic book store so there was lots and lots of autographed pictures of Stan Lee and, and memorabilia and stuff that Stan had autographed for the manager but apparently he was no longer longer a part of it so the manager who was there now he gave off a very like exclusive vibe i guess where it was kind of i don't know it kind of felt like you were saying adam that whole like who are these schlubs you know that are not going to spend 500 dollars on a comic book that was kind of the the feeling that i got as well like i was asking about grading comics and he was very careful to make sure that he could give no information about whether a comic should be graded or not because you might sue him if he said something and then it turned out not to be true and then you tried to sell something to them and on and on and on and on so yeah it was kind of a not tense but at least strained conversation yeah and so in the meantime while jeff's having this conversation i finally located all their quarter books or what should have been quarter books they weren't bagged they were just like in this drawer and they were all like shoved in there i was like this is great i'm starting to pull stuff out i'm like yeah i need this i need this and then the guy walks over to me i think it was the cashier he's like um those are not not not, not for sale <laughs> i'm like what yeah th yeah those are not for sale i'm like okay and so I just walked up with my one She-Hulk comic and then we left. I was just like, why are these not for sale? Because they're worthless, yes? <laughs> like, you will not make a profit on these books and you don't want to clear them out of your inventory. You're waiting until they become valuable when a Marvel TV series hits or something that suddenly makes one of the characters in there a big deal. So I was like, ah. Oh. So, so that was a bummer. But then we said, well, hey, there's just another store down the street. So let's hit it up. Let's see what they have to offer there and it was called the comic book hideout so in contrast jeff how would you explain the setup of this store and the feeling as we walked in 
almost like the exact opposite where it just it was a much smaller space i remember there was like a child safety door almost that you had to open in order to get in to the place it had kind of that smell kind of like old paper so it was yeah i mean it it just felt like the old school traditional comic book style uh it didn't feel terribly organized like looking around i couldn't quite figure out where stuff was or anything but (laughs) It was just, it was like everywhere. And then same thing. I started a conversation with this guy about grading and he probably had less detailed information than the first guy, but it just felt like this is a guy who loves comic books. And that was a much more enjoyable conversation for me. Or rather, he was more humble about it. He didn't feel like he was the authority that was gracing you with his information or lack thereof. He was just like, look, I'll tell you what I know. Because <laughs> I could hear you guys across the store because I was in the back. Of course, the, like Jeff said, they had all their you know standard bins that you would have. But then the whole back half of the store was literally the dollar bin. Like they had just as many old crappy comics as they did ones that were carefully organized in their bins. So I, I mean, Jeff... I I'm sure was just looking at his watch. He's like, wait, we've been here like 40 minutes. Uh, are we going yet? Like, I it- did literally ask too, like, am I supposed to be monitoring you? Do you have a budget <laughs> that you're supposed to hold to? Or do I need to report to your wife? Because I mean, yeah, my stat kept growing. Even underneath, they actually had issues of wizards. So of course I'm grabbing those. I'm getting excited. So the funniest part to me though was about 20 minutes in, this lady walks in through the back door with a little dog. Do you remember the dog that started walking? walking through uh-huh. the store. So it was, it was just like the most comfortable experience ever. It's just like, this is like a family store. It's wonderful. And, and so, yeah, I mean, that, that was just like, that's what you hope for. Even like when I was growing up, you know, at the comic book stores I went to, I didn't feel super like at home in any of the stores other than, oh, well, I shop here all the time. But this one, like instantly, I was just like, they wouldn't care if I stayed here all day, just sorting through this stuff, which I'm, mm-hmm. you know, hoping to do, <laughs> except that we're on a schedule. So they did a great job at the comic book hideout. Now, the third stop that we attempted to make was really an interesting store. So it was called Comic Hero University. And it was actually right next to an AMC movie theater. And it was in the shopping center. There was a Costco, but it was just its own little building, right? As you walked up to buy your tickets to the theater and you go over there and we, we just had to look in because even though it said they were open, they were not open. There was a little paper on the front that said closed for store inventory. But Jeff, what was your thought as we approached that store and started peeking in? What did you see that caught your interest? I mean, the first one was the location, is that the location seemed great in a lot of ways, especially because it seems like half the time that people go to the movies is to watch a comic book movie. So I thought like, wow, this is a really great location for you. However, I mean, like the one challenge, it was like a, wasn't it a Friday or a Thursday? Yeah, something like that. And it was like 11 o'clock in the morning. So not prime shopping time. Everybody's in school or at work. Like, you know, I had very low expectations, but you're right. It did say that they were open and we could actually see the like owner or somebody there who was, I don't know, organizing things or yeah, something Yeah, because I actually that, went to call them. I'm like, so somebody's in your store. Is it you? And he's like, no, I'm the owner. I'm not there. That's one of our guys. Our other guy called in sick. We'll probably be open in like an hour, but we didn't have an hour oh, to wait. Right. Yeah. But inside, you could see the 
that half the store was, yeah, all comic book bins and, you know, shelves with trades and collected editions and things. But the other half of the store was a video arcade. Right. Like an old school arcade with like all these cabinets. They had pinball machines. They had like, you know, driving games. I was just like, what wonderland is this? <laughs> well, again, it's right next to a movie theater. So I think that's how they generate their foot traffic. Yeah. I mean, so it was just like a fantastic setup. I actually ended up going back out to California for a wedding just a few weeks later. And I wanted to go there, but I still didn't have time <laughs> to go there. So one of these days, Comic Hero University, I will, you know, enter your realm and uh, enjoy the spoils of what you have collected there because uh, <laughs> it, it was just just a magical place that's now on my list but jeff why don't you tell everybody how many comics did you buy on our trip i bought zero <laughs> uh i got although technically you actually paid because there was a minimum credit card thing because i wanted to get they had dollar posters yeah that i put up in my youth room at church and so i bought three of those uh, although again technically you bought those so <laughs> i owe you three dollars that that was my gift to you for waiting around yeah but man that was just such a fun trip you know that's the fun that you want to have with a friend right it's like these like new places exploring them and you know the ups and the downs of all of that so jeff thanks for coming along it was a really awesome experience my question as we close out here though is did it make you want to go back to a comic book store again did it make you interested in uh, maybe starting to pick up some issues no no (laughs) i mean i i do appreciate like what we're talking about the the difference i don't know that i've ever been in two comic book stores within a span of 24 hours so to be able to compare the two we kind of have a local comic book shop in claremont and it's very uh kind of like a bookstore vibe which is fine but that's kind of all we have although the one thing that i will say along those lines is about a month ago i took a group of middle school students and we were going to go to an arcade but it was closed for an hour so while we had time to kill i took them to a comic book store and that comic book store most of those students maybe all of them had never been in a comic book store before wow. so i as their youth pastor got to take them inside their first comic book store which was kind of like a it felt like a rite of passage because you know like that was part of our childhood like everybody's got a comic book store right yeah but they're kind of few and far between here in the inland empire well that is fantastic jeff thanks again again for joining me to uh, report on our trip and off you go to talk about star trek indeed that was pretty fun right i mean to get a chance to hang out with your friend visiting comic book stores i don't know how many of you guys make a day of it but that was something extra special for me but you know like i said there when we peeked in that last store we actually saw some arcade games inside a comic book store and as we get into cap's cookie contest we might be throwing a few quarters in a machine as well so let's get into it All right, the first contest here is the return of the contest with a K. Midway presents the Choose Your Combatant contest. You know, every time we hear a wizard have a couple extra quarters in our pockets, we truck on down to the local arcade to play a little Mortal Kombat 3. And believe it or not, we probably have the most fun selecting our combatants. Will it be the old guard, like Sub-Zero or Sonya, or one of the new breed, like Shiva or Cabal? We like deciding, and now we'd like to see what you do. This contest is sponsored by Midway Manufacturing Company, makers of the darn fine video games, and... 
they're coming back. Pinball machines. Don't forget, there are some new fighters with new powers to beat each other with. How to play. We want to know who your favorite combatant is. Better yet, we want to see who your favorite combatant is. So we want you to take a picture of yourself choosing your combatant on a startup screen of Mortal Kombat. And don't be giving us any lazy bones generation X. I'm too bored to do this crap either. Because sending in a photo could definitely be worth your while. Check out the prize. Grand prize. One lucky randomly selected participant will receive, get this, the Mortal Kombat 3 arcade game. That's right, the big sucker. Be the envy of your friends. Take all their quarters. Never worry about parking meter change again. I gotta tell you, I totally wish that I would have entered this contest back in the day. Not because I'm a huge Mortal Kombat 3 fan, although that was probably the Mortal Kombat I played the most, but more so just, can you imagine having a photograph now of a vintage arcade? How much fun would that have been? Like, I'm sure some of you had birthday parties at an arcade or something like that, like, but just to have that, you standing in front of a screen, and then while you're there, you probably would have taken a few more pictures, you know, at your favorite arcade games, man. That would have been so fun to look back on. Uh, I will say, though, as far as Mortal Kombat 3 goes, I collect old things, and there's this antique store nearby me where somebody puts out some old Super Nintendo cartridges every once in a while. They're not too expensive. Well, I picked up Mortal Kombat 3 for like 10 bucks the other day for the Super Nintendo. I have a system called the Retron 5 where you can play a bunch of different game systems and put the actual cartridges in. So I have Mortal Kombat 3 and I recently got together with some other friends and I brought the Retron 5 and vintage Nintendo and Super Nintendo cartridges and Mortal Kombat 3 was one of the games in addition to like the old Rampage 8-bit game and we just had a great time. So a lot of fun to be had with the old video games, but uh, let's see what the very tiny important stuff says, okay? Aw oh, man, there's no snarky comments or jokes in the fine print. What did Marvel get to midway to? <sighs> Alright, well, let's get on to the next contest, because Extreme Studios presents The Prophet Profit contest, and you see Profit there saying, I must have the prizes, it is my destiny. And then his little friend Kirby saying, Take it easy, kid. So, John Profit is coming back in August. Those cool guys at Extreme Studios are letting Profit run free to create all sorts of new havoc. To celebrate the new Profit number one, they want to give all you Profit types a chance to win some neat prizes. How to play? Got psychic powers? Predict anything useful like winning lottery numbers, or if the milk is sour before you drink it? Well, you you won't need any skills fancier than that for this contest. All you have to do is answer three simple questions about Profit. One each from his past, present, and future. See, you get to be a Profit yourself. If we pick your name from the correct entries, wham, you're a winner. Here goes. Past. In what comic did Profit first appear? Present. What is the code name of the joint American-Japanese moon landing expedition in Profit Volume 2, Number 1? Future. What's the meaning of the term Silver Fox? See Profit Number 2. Alright, so the grand prize, one winner, randomly selected from all correct entries, will get a spiffy page of original art from the new Profit Number 1. First prize, ten winners will get a copy of the new Profit Number 1, signed by writer Chuck Dix and an artist Stephen Platt, plus a special Boris Vallejo cover edition of profit number one. So guys, we just ran a profit contest of our own, and I think it was a little easier than having to actually read a profit comic. Just had to give your opinion of old Rob Liefeld. But I can't answer the first question here on what comic did profit first appear. That was Youngblood number two. I only know that because we used to have it here in the archives, and then I sold everything for like two bucks <laughs> to a guy who's probably rolling in the dough reselling it all right now. But let's get to the legal stuff and stuff. 
Contest is open to anyone except employees of Wizard Press, Extreme Studios, their immediate families, and Morning Drive Radio Disc Jockeys. You guys just aren't funny. Ooh, take that, Howard Stern. Actually, you know, I was pretty dedicated to morning talk radio of all sorts, especially Howard Stern. My dad used to take me to school on Fridays, and we'd stop at McDonald's, I'd get a bacon, egg, and cheese biscuit, and I'd turn on Howard Stern. I look back on that now, and I cringe. Dad listening to Howard Stern with me? There were things I'm sure that he uh, (laughs) wished he was not listening to, but what a cool guy. All right, next here. Offer void were prohibited, regulated, or restricted by law in a manner inconsistent with the purpose and rules hereof. You keep your eyes on the road, your hands upon the wheel. That's it. (laughs) Okay, well, thanks for the safety tip, wizard. On to the next contest. This is called the Dress for Success Contest. It is a Marvel-sponsored contest. It says, dressing up as the new Green Goblin could get you thrown in the loony bin. Then again, it could win you a set of Spider-Man toys. Get crazy for the August premiere of the new Green Goblin's monthly comic by photographing yourself in your best goblin getup. Goblin glider and non-explosive pumpkin bombs are optional. If your insane impersonation of the new Goblin is the most bewitching, you could win these monster prizes. Grand prize? One winner will get all 26 5-inch 1995 Spider-Man action figures. First prize, one winner, all eight 10-inch Spider-Man action figures. Second prize, Hobgoblin, Wing Bomber, and Pumpkin Bomber with Hobgoblin and Green Goblin 5-inch action figures. Plus, all who enter will be put in another drawing where they can win one of 15 Talking Venoms or 15 Talking Spider-Mans. Wow. I want that grand prize. I want all those figures. I will tell you, I actually have a talking Venom up on my wall here, you know, with the little backpack that you used to put on there, which is really pretty cool. And I have a Green Goblin. I have a lot of the figures actually featured in this ad. So this is interesting the way they laid it out, though, because you see the original Green Goblin figure from this Spider-Man Toy Biz line, and he's kind of like faded out like he's a ghost. And then they have the drawing of the new Green Goblin. Shout out to my friends over at the Dollar Bin Bandits podcast, uh, Oren over there we did a little trade a while back and he sent me a stack of comics and in that stack were the first two issues of the green goblin comic so i i can actually review that on a future mini episode but man that is definitely my kind of contest i mean i feel like i owned half of the figures anyway but (laughs) to have gotten them all maybe i would have kept them in the box at that point who knows but i I loved my spider-man action figures so you got my attention marvel but you disappoint me because no jokes in the fine print. But that does it for Cap's kooky contest this time around. But speaking of reading comics, it's time for Robin's Reading Rainbow. So recently on social media, we shared a double page ad from Wizard for an Extreme Studios book called Blood Pool. Yep. You heard right. The creator of Youngblood, Bloodstrike, and Deadpool published a comic called Bloodpool. There's only two explanations. One, Rob carefully gathered data on what title would catch readers' attention through sales figures, focus groups, and surveys. Or, Rob has ten words in his vocabulary and having used them all up on previous comic book titles, strained his brain to come up with something, quote, new. I think you can gather which theory I favor. Anyway, I happen to pick 
up issues one through four of this series at a convention last year, it was just the audacity of the name that made me laugh. And since we had a lot of Rob Eyelid discussion on episode 49, it seemed only fitting that we review it now. So according to the opening pages of issue one, the blood pool were the new batch of young blood recruits being genetically tampered with to create a fresh batch of enhanced superhumans meant to join the team. But due to the fallout from a crossover event called Extreme Sacrifice, that program was shut down by Battlestone of Brigade, and all of these volunteers hoping for fame, glory, and a paycheck from the government have lost out on the job. Now, according to the editorial in the back of the first issue, Rob had the idea for a Youngblood training program back in 1993 and sprinkled the characters throughout the Team Youngblood comic until they finally got their own series here in 1995, according to them, due to popular demand. But isn't it always? Having gotten the bad news that they don't have a job, these brash young super beings give Shaft from Youngblood a lot of attitude and yell at him for kicking them to the curb before striking out on their own and leaving with a bunch of equipment from the government arsenal. So that is like the main premise of this book. Now, the group of disgruntled recruits who we are following in this book that form themselves into a team are first Silence, who can read minds and acts as the joyless field leader. She has has like green hair like Polaris and a, a ridiculously exposed chest in her battle leotard that is, yes, full of pouches. A Shatterstar clone named Task, who has face armor, he has the two swords, I mean, literally on the cover of the first issue drawn by Liefeld, he's in a Shatterstar pose. A blonde guy with a heart of gold named Fusion, who can molecularly convert one item into another substance. A Korean female named Seol, who can summon the spirits of dead war warriors and take on their abilities. She basically reminds me of a less bratty freefall from Gen 13 with the same open-chested outfit as Silence. Then there's the jerky Wilder, who has razor elbow blades and can grow talons like Warblade of Wildcats or Ripclaw of Cyberforce. As you can see, these are all very exciting original characters. Uh, finally, we have the star of the show, the hot-headed jokester Rubble, who is like Wolverine and the Thing had a baby, or think of a shriveled up Bad Rock. And I guess while we're on the subject, remember that Bad Rock used to be named Bedrock, like the town where the Flintstones lived before Rob changed it, and Rubble is the last name of their neighbors, Betty and Barney. So Rob, just, just stop it. Like I said, the first issue is mostly the group just yelling at Shaft about having subjected themselves to genetic manipulation for nothing, with Rubble ripping off his own rocky noggin and chucking it at the archer while throwing a hissy fit. This actually becomes Rubble's signature move in the series, he can always reattach it to his rocky body. Uh, there's also a strange sequence taking place over a page and a half while Shaft is apologizing to the group. You have Seol randomly summoning a Japanese warrior who is whispering pss, pss. That's literally everything in the word balloon. Pss, pss for many panels. And the only way you find out what he says is in the letters page in the next issue when a reader asks for an explanation of why they wasted so much space on this. It's like, guys, care to let us in on the joke? It's just a poor storytelling choice. When the kids eventually hit the road, they stumble into thwarting a kidnapping attempt of a very rich businessman on the freeway who is also having an affair with a hot lady, so he's a creep. But as a thank you for their discretion, not telling anybody about it, not calling the 
the cops, the businessman cuts them a large check and they have seed money to start their lives as heroes for hire. So you would think that's going to be kind of the thing, right? It's like, all right, yeah, they're heroes for hire, they're out doing business, but issue two kind of abandons that track immediately because it finds them facing off against a realtor turned supervillain named Earth Mover. Yes, E-Y-R-T-H Mover, who claims he can bend the earth to his will, has some sort of hypnotic device that he's also developed, and he has amassed a fortune in real estate. So yes, an evil, balding realtor in glasses with a pencil behind his ear, and for some reason, a pack of coyotes under his control captures Wilder and Fusion, along with other people that were out for a run who dared to try and fight off his furry friends. It is such a strange setup. The, the plot feels like writer Joe Duffy recently had a bad experience buying a home and thought it would be a funny take on all that she had to endure, but it just isn't. It's just confusing. Of course, the rest of the team notices their pals are gone and rescue them as Rubble shouts, Have no fear! Blood pools here! Issue 3 finds the team hired to travel to a fake Egypt-adjacent country called Faristan in order to protect an ancient artifact called the Cartouche of Sekhmet being sought by mercenaries. So yeah, at least they're getting work, right? They're continuing with the premise. A running gag in the story, though, is the revelation that Seol hates bugs, and so when the team interrupts the ceremony being performed by the mercenaries using the Cartouche of Sekhmet to summon some sort of otherworldly power, yeah, and they snuck into the tomb anyway, so these kids were not doing their job. The plot is a eventually foiled when Seol smashes the scarab or beetle-shaped artifact, saying, I just hate bugs. Ha ha ha. <laughs> That's the joke. Now, I want to mention at this point also that Bloodpool so badly wants to be Gen 13, but it's just not even close to being in touch with the youth culture, nor does it have, like, competent art to justify the thin, thin storylines. Patley's art just gets progressively worse with each issue. I'll provide some examples on social media, but it feels like his approach to creating exciting imagery was, like, get hopped up on caffeine, then start drawing as fast as he could, as if to say if he was moving fast, then the energy would flow onto the page of the characters, but it's just, you know, proportional portion issues and it could be maybe like the inking was changing i don't know but it, there's also like this one time there's a bizarre panel design where we see seol's head and like the top of her chest then a diagonal line cuts across that panel to a close-up of her just her breasts in the foreground and then there's some stuff happening off to the side it's just it's so jarring in its layout and then the obvious objectification right i just had me rolling my eyes i was just like what are you doing this is terrible but as we conclude the series here with issue four it should be mentioned that the previous issue had opened with a mummy attack that turned out just to be a movie on tv but apparently even though the cartouche of sekhmet was destroyed the energy released did awaken a real mummy in the tomb who then captured task and the team has to rescue him from the least threatening of all movie monsters sorry how well rubble pulls his head off again and then challenges the mummy to to do the same and in doing so the mummy's power is somehow released and he falls to the floor in a pile of dusty bandages and bones again jokes by the way, that was just the first half of the book that appears to have been, it really feels that it was unfinished pages meant for issue three that maybe they just didn't have time to get to. So I was like, ah, well, let's throw it in the next issue. But the second half of the book, these are just, you know, like eight page stories, is an unrelated story 
by an even worse penciler named Ching Lao that has the character of Glory summoned by her pal Santa Claus. We're told they're both immortal beings, which is, of course, that makes them friendly to each other. But he asks her to grant a Christmas wish of tasks to go on a date with an angel. This is not anything we've seen previously. We don't know where the setup is, where that came from. But you find out Rubble and Task are the only Bloodpool members staying on their home base for the holidays. Everybody else is out traveling or visiting family or whoever. But they end up battling a gang who invade their home for reasons? They just don't like them living in their neighborhood. It's so weird. But with the help of Glory, they stop these bad guys. Glory then asks Ryan slash Task to be her date for New Year's Eve and the story ends. And he just looks as confused as the reader must be. There's a giant exclamation point in his word balloon as if to say, who is Glory? Why is she asking me out? I, I didn't want this. <laughs> None of us did, Task. Yeah, it's just, it's so bizarre. It just feels so pointless at that last panel. But my theory is that this was maybe going to be the full story for issue five, but the series was getting canceled, so they crammed it into this one. There are only four issues of Bloodpool total, and they're all duds. There actually, there was a special issue released in 1996, which I read a few pages of and just quit. It was about some, like, racist opening band that gets bumped by an African-American trio of female rockers, and then they're gonna go, like, spew all this hatred. Like, it's just, like, it was a weird setup. But it's just, it's not a world that I care to continue in. <laughs> I'll admit that Rubble throwing his head at people is cartoony fun, but the book is just, it's aimless. It's a villain of the month stories that I think wants to be a freewheeling fun romp, but just delivers generic action with a smirk and no memorable character designs or characterization. I mean, again, Gen 13 is definitely the template they were using, but J. Scott Campbell and Brandon Choi are just a fantastic team, and they just have so much fun in that book, and this one's just like, yeah, kids being bratty and wild right? No, no, you can't just do that. The only thing that got a laugh out of me was an ad in the middle of issue four for a book called Thunder Agents from Maximum Press. I've never heard of this series. It sounds like another one that Rob Liefeld like bought the rights to and then was resurrecting, but you might be asking, why did it make you laugh? It's just an ad in a book. You guys, this is the origin of Cat Boobs. You know, that the infamous giant-chested Captain America promo ad by Liefeld that turned him into the laughingstock. I mean, the exact same pose and body is in this ad. It's just a different costume design. But not only does he use it once, but twice in the same ad. There are two different characters in the same pose. One has even wings on the side of his mask. So I started this review citing the audaciousness of Bloodpool as a name. But to find this and realize that Liefeld was aping his own poor anatomy from a previous promo piece when he did the cat boobs was beyond ridiculous to me. I just, I'll put it on social media for the comparison, but really I just saw it and I, and my brain melted. I was just like, he did that. He did that. Wow. So there you have it guys. Don't read Bloodpool. On to the next segment. <laughs>
you know, we've been reading the top 10 comics. That hasn't changed much. Obviously, that causes Wizard to get a little bit snarky. But another place that they add their funny commentary was in the picks from the Wizard's Hat section, where they were talking about the big comics that were coming out that month that they wanted to spotlight. So I thought that I would just go through here and read a couple of the ones that jumped out at me. The first is the Avengers Ultra Force number one. And it says here, the relationship between Marvel and Malibu really gets steamy this month as each releases its half of the Avengers Ultra Force crossover. Quote, it's got George Perez art and you can't get cooler than that, points out Malibu editor Hank Canals. Quote, George does the most outstanding Avengers of anyone. Perez not only draws the Malibu half, Ultra Force Avengers number one, which is the story's second part, but he pencils both covers which fit together into one dramatic illustration. The story spins out of Rune's adventures in the Marvel Universe where he found the Infinity Gems and took them with him back to the Ultraverse. Now Loki, following his appearance in the God Wheel miniseries, intends to collect all six gems and take over everything. All that stands in his way is the combined might of the Avengers and Ultra Force, who were brought together after the Avengers Black Knight and Cersei found a breach into the Ultraverse. What they don't know, but readers of July's Eliminator number 3 do, is that Cersei holds a wild card that makes her a pivotal player in the drama. This tale leads into a major storyline called Black September, which dramatically changes both universes. Included is Kevin Prime Green traveling to the Marvel Universe, where he runs into everyone's favorite web swinger. Yeah, so this is like the real kickoff, you know, they had the little seeds they were planting, right, with Loki, with the Black Knight, all that stuff. But now this is where worlds collide. So that was, you know, one of the moments they tried to make the Ultraverse relevant. Unfortunately, it doesn't last much longer beyond this, but uh, just thought that was for history's sake that was worth mentioning. Plus, hey, with the recent news about George Perez, if you didn't know about all the stuff he was doing for Malibu's Ultraverse titles, there it is. Next up here is Akira number 34. What? Manga? But this actually was being put out by Marvel. Tetsuo, I'm back! After about three friggin' years of agonizing waiting, the final issue of this epic manga series is finally out. This issue picks up right where the action left off and leads you to the ultimate concluding battle. Discover the fate of the world and this 64-page baby by Katsuhiro Otomo with Joe Duffy and Steve Olaf. So yeah, for anybody that was getting into anime and manga, gotta pronounce it correctly, right? I think that it, just if you went to the video store or whatever, like Akira is is the one that was the most promoted, right? And like they said here, my understanding is that that final chapter, it took forever for it to get finished and then to come overseas. So that's kind of a big deal. Next one here, Batman Adventures number 36. (laughs) Sorry, but it's the last issue of Batman Adventures. But that's okay, because next month starts the Batman and Robin adventures. Anyway, this issue sees Batman and Catwoman working together. Wow, after they both come down with a bad case of amnesia. Mmm, Selina, where are my pants? By Ty Templeton, Mike Perlbeck, and Rick Burchett. Alright, next up here is Kurt Busick's Astro City number one. Welcome to Astro City. And no, Kurt Busick doesn't live here. Damn Taurus. In our first issue, you'll meet the Samaritan. Gosh, he's a heck of a noble guy. He'll be introducing you to the Honor Guard and be participating in a nasty old skirmish with the Living Nightmare. Make sure you keep your hands inside of the bus by Kurt Busick and Brett Anderson with an absolutely marvelous Alex Ross cover. Yeah, so this is a series that gets critical acclaim. Those Alex Ross covers caught everybody's attention because anything he was doing 
happening at the time was a big, big deal. So this is something that I also am hoping to cover here on the mini episodes in the future, because it's one of those things where it's just like this series continued and continued to be such a big deal. So look out for that. But next up here, The Lady Death in Lingerie, number one. Yeah, like you haven't already seen enough of her. Well, The Queen of the Dead puts on a little fashion show for you kitties hopped up on hormones. Plus, you'll also see the winner of Wizard 46's Lady Death Swimsuit Contest. What the hell is she doing wearing a swimsuit in a lingerie special? By way too many artists to even attempt listing. Yeah. <laughs> so I still have not picked up this issue uh, for fear of what my wife might say, but it is that essential piece of wizard history. So we're probably going to have to get to it at some point here. All right, next up here is the report on the Spider-Man books for this month. Why? Because Wizard is still incredulous about everything they're doing. It says, You can all breathe a little easier now that the clone fiasco seems to be hitting its final stages. Spectacular Spider-Man number 228 features Time Bomb, part one of two. Kane's vision of Mary Jane's murder comes to fruition as Peter turns out to be her killer. Insert your own OJ joke here. For part two, check out Web Spider-Man number 129. The Scarlet Spugster and the New Warriors try to stop Peter from killing Mary Jane. Swing your way to Amazing Spider-Man number 406 for the greatest responsibility, part one of three. It's Spidey and the, uh, versus the all-new, all-female Doc Ock. Female? What the? You mean Doc Ock is now a a girl? <laughs> I love that they just can't even refer to the spider clone anymore. He's just the ugh. Part two of the battle comes in Spider-Man number 63. Then hang up your tights and read about the end of Spider-Man in Spectacular Spider-Man number 229. Once again, Peter Parker throws away his life as Spider-Man. But this time, I think he really means it. And if you want to just forget all this clone crap and just read some good old-fashioned Spidey stories, check out Untold Tales of Spider-Man number two, where a young Spidey must stop the Batwing. Batwing? What? Is the Jackal cloning DC characters now? <laughs> so it's pretty fun there. And uh, as we close out here, we have the X-Men books. By Lenin's bones, Colossus making his shocking return to mutant bodies. Don't forget that the traitorous rat bastard scum ran off with Magneto. In Uncanny X-Men number 325, this 48-page giant helps kick off the all-new X-Men's 20th anniversary with the threat of Gene Nation. The party continues in X-Men number 45 when Gambit's ultimate secret is revealed. Set up a ring and fill it with plenty of jello, cause it's Rogue versus Gambit. No holds barred. What did you think about that? So I just wanted to read that because the mention of jello wrestling, hot oil wrestling, mud wrestling was just a staple of the late 80s and early 90s in so many different media, but especially in Wizard. You know, I'm only now starting to read, you know, the more pick section of things like that, but they bring it up quite often. It's just like every every guy wanted to make that joke. I do not know why, but it was just the, the most ridiculous thing anybody could think of. But there you guys have it. A few selections from the more picks. So just for sticking around to the end, we have a bonus bit of comedy for you here. You know, we haven't covered a lot of the wizard bullpen news of late on the main episodes, but you know, one of the things that they were doing in the back of the magazine were these wizard profiles on the bullpen members. And in this case, they took it to another <laughs> very, very funny place because this is an interview with Eric, the official wizard groundhog called Groundhogicus Maximus. And 
Man Mascot is his official title. Uh, if you will recall, on the Wizard Files, when we had former Price Guide editor Lars Pearson on, he said that he actually attempted to catch this groundhog. There was a bounty offered by the head office for anybody that could catch the groundhog. And he went out there, he tried to drown it out through the holes with a hose and all these other things. So it was pretty funny. He did not catch it, but Wizard was going through its own caddyshack. But here is what they found out in their interview with Eric, the official Wizard Groundhog. They ask, what is it you do at Wizard? much anymore. A couple of months back, me and Seamus had a fallen out over who came up with the idea for ProGuard. And maybe I had one too many at lunch or something, but pow, I laid him flat on his ass. Now I just hang around on the lawn, eat, and try to catch something slow enough to mate with. <laughs> for those who don't recall, ProGuard was Wizard's attempt to sell their own brand of comic book protection, you know, sleeves, bags and boards, all that kind of stuff. Binders, for those of you who keep your comics and binders, you weirdos. All right, next up here. Well, what are your hobbies? Learning different ways to prepare my young before I eat them. I've also got the entire set of Time Life's books, History of the Terrible Lizards. You guys remember those Time Life book offers, those infomercials? Favorite comic series? Cherry Pop-Tart. Boy, I wouldn't mind the... Bone's good too, heck. That little guy is so cute, I wouldn't mind... Him either. <laughs> oh, this groundhog's got a dirty mind over here. All right, this says, accomplishment of which you are most proud? Every day when Gerard comes in and parks his car, I sneak up to his Lexus and mark the hell out of it with my scent. Uh, who would play you in a movie? De Niro. The range he displays is awesome. While many had pigeonholed him as only a tough guy, mobster actor, he gave powerful, thought-provoking performances as the catatonic man in Awakenings, and a hopeless tortured in Coppola's Frankenstein, or maybe, uh, Wings Hauser? Any advice for Wizard readers? Yeah, keep on buying Wizard, it's great! The proceeding was a paid endorsement from Wizard Press and Garib Seamus Enterprises. Eric the Groundhog received monetary reimbursement for all statements made. <laughs> Gotta keep on chilling for Wizard, you wanna live on the grounds. And finally, what would you like people to know about you? I may not be human, but I have feelings. I know what it's like to lie awake at night alone, wishing I had someone to hold, to look up at the night sky and wonder if there is a god, and if so, why he has seemingly forsaken us. Oh, and if any of you got a sister, hook me up. <laughs> So, yeah, fun times with Eric the Wizard Groundhog. I feel like that's a guy that needs to return to the pages, but this might be a one and done for him, so we will keep an eye out in the future. And uh, that does it for this episode of Wizard's Half, so thanks for checking it out, guys. Hope you enjoyed that little bit of extra conversation about visiting comic book stores. Hope you enjoyed a little bit of change up in the format and things like that. Just trying to make it exciting for you. Always check in on the Wizard's Half episodes. You never know what you're gonna find. But... Episode 50 is coming up next, and Michael, Stephen, and I are finally back together again. It's been so long, but it is a milestone, which means usually you make some changes. Heck, Wizard did, so we're having some changes that will be announced on that episode as well. Plus, it was just a lot of fun to be back together, the three of us. There's a little bit of a surprise at the end. Ooh, another tease for you. But of course, stay connected with us for more news on Twitter at Wizards Comics, on Instagram at 
wizards underscore comics get over to that youtube channel and subscribe guys because i am creating all sorts of videos as these new issues of wizard come into the archives and michael is getting ready to be on some of these videos as well so that we can get back to just you know talking comics that's what it's all about right but we hope that you are finding plenty of people to talk comics with and in the meantime keep your books bagged and boarded